guys, welcome to this week's episode of The Thinking Podcast. This is your host, Jeffrey Wu, and I'm excited to have Dr. Priyanka Wally here with me. Um, interesting story of how we met. It was at the World's Fair SF, and I gave a talk a little bit about biohacking, and part of the talk was about talking about keto, low-carb, high-fat diets, ketosis, and I met you in the context of you being a comedian. Yeah. You also happened to actually be... Uh, you know, a fully licensed practicing doctor. Um, curious to hear about that story. Yeah, um, so the reason I was yeah. at the conference was because uh, there was a comedy show happening at the conference. Right. Um, it was called Eureka, and it's a science-based comedy show. So right. I was one of the comedy commentators for uh, the scientists that was there. So I was killing time, basically, and I <laughs> saw, like, the roster of different talks and... Um, you know, I just walked in and sat down and then you came up. I, I think I saw like the ha like second half of right. your um, spiel and you were like preaching to my choir when I <laughs> when I was listening to you and I was like, where am I? And I was like, I have to introduce myself to this yeah. guy. And so it was kind of funny because I had all my comedy cards with me. Right. Like I had none of my like medicine right. business cards. So I'm like, <laughs> look, I'm here for comedy, but I am actually a keto physician. And like, right. I totally get what you're doing. I think it's awesome. And, and that, yeah, I think it was a really cool story how we met. And then you connected me to Manny. Yes. Um, so Manny is a clinician who's also been on our podcast a couple of times around you know, yeah, I think there's just an emerging group of physicians who are looking at the existing care system and being like, hmm, some of the basic biochemistry doesn't quite make sense. It's not making sense from a textbook level as well as a practice level. Let's see what the, you know, how to improve the system. And yeah. I think there's like a really quickly growing group of practitioners and clinicians that are starting to have their like light bulbs turned on here yeah for sure yeah. after you manny and i met yeah. and then we like powwowed and yeah we we shared thoughts and whatnot it was great to connect with yeah. him um and i think recently uh you know malia robinson from business insider has been covering this broad beat of uh biohacking and she approached me asking hey i, I want to try this ketogenic diet that i right. hear that all these silicon valley execs are doing and and i was like hey like Dr. Wally's, you know, up to speed on this. Talk to her, and then she can be sort of your guide into the into, in, into this world. And it sounds like that was one of her most viewed articles. And I think that just also speaks broadly to the interest that everyone has around biohacking and ketosis. Yeah, for sure. And it's funny because when I first met Malia, uh, she was a little skeptical. She yeah. was like, "What is this? Is it uh, insane?" Because like it, the current dogma is like you know, fat is not good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'll yeah, let you explain exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, but then I signed, when I first met with her, um, I went through like her entire medical history and I was like, look, there's no like absolute medical indication for you to be on this. So I, I need you to understand that like in my practice, I'm putting patients who need to be on this, like people with diabetes, prediabetes, metabolic syndrome, fatty liver, polycystic ovarian syndrome, you name it. Right. And so I was like, this is helping a lot of people. So whatever you're going to write, you need to make sure you don't bash this because uh, this is actually helping a lot of people. This yep. is treating people. I'm getting people off meds. Like I sat her down and I was very like, look, 
you don't have a medical indication to do this. So if you're going to do this, like you need to be respectful of like what's going on here on the therapeutic side. Yeah, Yeah. Because this is helping a lot of people. Right. So after I kind of explained that to her, I think she was much more like appreciative and mindful. And then we also didn't go immediately like into hardcore ketosis, like overnight, you know, I, Realize like we should wean her into it and gently kind of put her in ketosis, um, which we did. And you, I mean, you can read the article. Yeah, we'll, put, we'll link to the article. Yeah, yeah. the article's awesome. Um, she did a great job of complying. Kind of talking about it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think the only kind of there was a little Twitter flack that I got from some other physicians that aren't really familiar with it. Um, but I sort I straightened that out. Like yeah. there was there were a couple of comments like, "Are we promoting weight loss or are we promoting health?" And I was like, "Dude, it clearly said in the article that I told her that there this wasn't an absolute medical indication for her right. to do this. Right. Like it we, this was an N of one experiment that was just like documented. Right. Um, you know, and I don't think ketogenic diet is for everyone. I am not the type of person that's like this is the world's diet. Yeah. I think that's like an important thing to, to to explain and talk about. Like when we talk about from a therapeutic use case to an enhancement use case or a biohackers use case, a lot of these are subjective n equals one. Like you should be measuring your own biometrics and your own experiences with it. Exactly. I mean, I think it's I think it's overly prescriptive on the other side to be like, okay, let's go away from low fat, let's eat a ton of fat. I think that's equally as dogmatic as like the current system. Totally. Like let's not make the same mistake like twice. Exactly. Yeah, yeah exactly. I think it's important to be skeptical like right. always, right? right? Um it was really cool like following Malia, like yeah. um we would touch base via text but then meet in person and um yeah, a couple weeks into it, like she just seemed so much happier. She was like glowing and yeah, like it was. Yeah, I really saw her. Nice. Yeah, I saw her recently, and she was saying that her she just felt a lot better. Yeah, which I think is a lot of the subjective feeling that a lot of our community members that are on keto or playing with fasting feel. And I think that's why it's like a growing movement where it's like, like, hey, uh, you, you know, it's something that you can do. That's something that's free and something that relatively free in terms of like you know you're just gonna spend money on food anyways um and people are seeing good effect uh, good results from it yeah no i i like i say you know if if you have diabetes or pre-diabetes i mean it's a pretty strong if not absolute indication yeah i'm curious like before diving into like the the weeds into the you know the indications i'm curious how your 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 background your history into this i mean i think i discovered yeah because i think a lot of clinicians doctors i talk to you know, they go through medical school and, and, and residency with the existing dogma of ADA sort of requirements. And and that, that that's very different from uh, what we're seeing in practice Absolutely. in terms of results. So I'm curious to hear your background, Absolutely. your story there. So it's actually pretty interesting because, uh, you know, through, in med school, I was a good little med student. I followed on myself the American Heart Association guidelines, the American Diabetes Association guidelines. I was eating a, a low-fat, um, lacto-ovo-vegetarian diet. I thought animal fats were bad. Um, where, did you, where did you go to medical school? USC okay. in Los Angeles. Um, I Grew was, up near LA. Yeah, yeah. and uh, I was the good little med student. Yeah. I thought I was doing this because I was... Uh, kind of reducing my risk of heart disease. Mind you, I was hungry. I was hungry all the time. I just thought hunger was a part of life. I just accepted <laughs> it. Yeah. Um, 
So then, flash forward, I'm in residency here in San Francisco. Um, I'm looking to moonlight, and I just need to make some extra money so I can pay rent. Was your residency or your specialty? At uh, this internal point? medicine. Okay. Yeah, internal medicine I did at California Pacific Medical Center. Um, so I'm like a scrappy resident on a resident salary. I'm trying to make rent. So I'm looking for moonlighting opportunities. And I come across this uh, weight loss clinic. And this clinic is basically putting these patients on what are called VLCDs or very low calorie diets. Okay. So they're feeding these patients like meal packets and they're eating about 800 calories a day. Mm. And these guys are losing like massive quantities of weight. Um, and they're actually getting put in ketosis, but I didn't like put it together at the time. One thing I did know was that with these VLCD programs, majority of these patients, once they stopped the program, ended up gaining the weight right, back, they spike right? Up, yeah. So I knew like, okay, you can lose a bunch of weight by getting on this VLCD, but it's like starvation kind it, of it's like yeah, yeah, it's ketosis. Right. Um but it's not sustainable. Like right. you can't eat these packets for the rest of your life. Like these little like meal packets and shakes, like very processed, like very American. You right. know what I mean? Like totally and packaged. And it's also like if you're also just eating calorically restricted, it slows down your metabolism, exactly, right? Exactly, exactly. So so I got really interested with like weight loss and obesity medicine because of those ex- that that experience as a resident. So then I, I graduated, I went into practice and again, I was doing everything by the book, like a good little attending, following the ADA recommendations. And I started to notice that all of my patients with diabetes, like they didn't feel good. They weren't getting better. I mean, they were just sort of staying sick. Every time I put them on insulin, they would gain weight. They felt terrible. Their blood pressure would go up. And I was kind of like, what the hell is going on? Like I'm doing everything by the book. Their numbers are getting a little better, but like they're really they stagnating. Feel bad. They're just stagnating. They're stagnating, right. and so I was like, okay, I need to figure this out. I was already into like understanding weight loss and ketosis because of the VLCD, but I knew there wasn't a maintenance answer in that. So I started then looking for other options. So then I I went back to the literature. I started speaking to other physicians that had experience with weight loss. And then I discovered the science behind low carb diets, ketogenic diet. And the first time I heard about the ketogenic diet, I mean, the science made sense to me, right? but it was so outlandish, the idea of eating so much fat. Right. I was like, okay, scientifically, this all checks, but there's but only- But culturally, culturally, it's, it's, it's kind of like, like, whoa. Dogmatically, it's like yeah. the opposite of what everything I've been told. So at that time, mind you, I was lacto-ovo-vegetarian. I was like, you know what? I'm convinced that I should put my patients on this, but I better try it on myself first. Because okay. if God forbid there are any reactions, like I'm, I, you know, if I you have risk a heart attack, first. like I can recover from it. I'm pretty young. Like right. I'll just do it. So initially, when I started doing keto, because I was vegetarian, I was doing vegetarian keto. And I started. That's not easy to do, right? It wasn't right? easy at all. Like it was actually really hard. So what were you um, eating? <laughs> so I was eating tons of eggs and cheese. Eggs okay. and cheese. Uh, and avocados. Then, avocados. Like okay. something. Then I something happened Nuts. in my brain. <laughs> I cut the carbs, and something was like something switched. I was like, I need to eat meat. 
But I felt so like weird about, I hadn't eaten meat for years. So I was really like confused about it. So I, I actually gateway transitioned with um, oysters. Huh. And like, I had to talk myself into it because I was, I read this article on Slate which was published like seven years ago talking about how you can be vegan and still eat oysters because from an environmental standpoint, okay. it's still sustainable. And oysters have like very poorly developed ner nervous systems. So it's even debatable whether or not they feel pain. So I like created all these justifications. So then okay. I ate oysters and right. oh my God, when I ate oysters, it was like if I just started to feel like even better. Right. So then I, oysters, then I transitioned to mussels, then fish, then everything. And now I, now I eat everything, okay. right? So then, then I went full, like full keto in terms of like increasing my meat intake. And what I started to notice is I just felt better and better and better. And um, mind you, at the time, like I was doing stand up comedy as a resident, then I graduated. So I would work in the clinic all day and then I would perform at night doing shows. And before I went keto, I was exhausted. Right. In fact, I during my lunch break at 1 p.m., I would go to my car to Take lay down for yeah. 20 minutes. And I just thought, I'm just grinding too hard. You know what I mean? Damn. Like, yeah. I thought I was just working too hard. I switched to keto. And the first thing I noticed is that I don't need those damn naps anymore. Your energy is consistent throughout the entire yeah. day. Yeah. And I could, per I could work during the day and then I would perform at night. And yeah, I'd be tired because I would be like, still like not sleeping as much but it was clear to me that my sustainability like totally changed yeah so then once i was like i put i put myself on it i was like i'm totally fine and by the way like my cholesterol numbers like the ratios all improved i didn't have any like metabolic syndrome to begin with right. but like my hemoglobin a1c went from like 5.4 to 5.0 okay and then my cholesterol ratios all improved right. like they just got more optimal and to give a sense the diet pre-diabetic pre-diabetic range for h1bac is it's uh above 5.7 or above right. yeah so and then diabetes like 6.2 6.5 or higher okay. is diabetes yeah um so then i started putting my patients on it and very quickly within a few months like i mean it my practice started to become so much more satisfying because I was like getting people off meds, cutting their insulin down, if not cutting it off. People were losing weight. People felt better. Right. They were thanking me. I was getting more hugs than I ever got in the clinic. You know, um, I, yeah. And like, what's funny is that a lot of my staff like secretly started eating low carb without yeah. telling me. And they, they all, they look great now, you know, um, it was awesome. Like it was very cool. Right. And now here I am. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a crazy story. I mean, I think um, to be a devil's advocate, I mean, I've heard of some people that see increases in triglycerides, cholesterol, and it seems to me that there is probably some genetic or some some factor there that's you know, for some people, I've also heard the other on, on some people where it doesn't affect their, their, their fatty acids. So typically you'll see triglyceride levels go down and mm. that's typically a sign that circulating fat in the bloodstream is being utilized for As ketosis. Yeah. So typically triglyceride levels go down, but you can see elevations in like total cholesterol, like isolated total cholesterol. Um, sometimes LDL does go up, but, uh, you want to look at your LDL particle size because just because the LDL 
uh, total LDL goes up doesn't necessarily mean that the particle size uh, ratios have become adversely affected. Right. Um, so I usually don't, if someone's actually eating like a true nutritionally adequate ketogenic diet, we typically actually see drops in triglyceride, right. but you can see elevations in total yeah. cholesterol and LDL. Yeah, and I think that's... And I agree with you that yeah. it could be a genetic thing. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think that's why I think it's important to, on the biohacking side, actually measure these things. Absolutely. Right? Because like, if you're not measuring, you're just kind of shooting in the dark. For sure. But if you're just actually seeing your numbers improve, your metrics improve across all boards, I mean, I think there's at some level, you know, just trade-offs, right? I think the body wants the you know, design to stay in homeostasis, right? So if you're just pushing levers around, you might, you know, shift other things in, in, in different directions. I think it's like finding an overall balance that makes sense for you. Totally. And, you know, I've talked to Steve Finney um, about a couple of my patients whose um, cholesterol went up in right. the past just to kind of run it by him. And um, what's funny is that we tend to see these elevations in like young, healthy males who hmm. don't have metabolic syndrome. That Those are usually the ones that I notice that their um, cholesterol levels go up. Right. And you could like check a ferritin level. You know, sometimes if their ferritin is too high, I mean, it, maybe they are eating too much meat. Right. That is possible. And then I I remember this one guy from Argentina. Um, I put him on a low-carb diet because he had fatty liver. Um, and his cholesterol numbers did go up. And I checked a ferritin. His ferritin was slightly elevated. And right. I was like, how much meat are you eating? He's like, well, dude, I'm from Argentina. Like, I'm, just I'm eating, eating steaks. steaks like all the time. Right. And I was like, look, take it a little easy. Yeah. You don't need to eat so many steaks. You yeah. know? So, um, I think that's like a good point. I think it is very hard to stick to a true keto diet. I think a lot of people overweight protein too much. And as you know, protein breaks down to amino acids, which turns into sugar. Yeah. Through gluconeogenesis. So I think that's the process in which, okay, like, it's not like, hey, just eat steaks all the time. If you're eating steaks all the time, you're probably, you're not going to be like truly ketotic, like measure your blood ketones. You're probably not going to be that high. Yeah. And I still don't understand why some people can tolerate high amounts of protein, whereas others can't. Right. You know, it's not across the board. Like right. there are some people that eat tons of protein and their insulin levels won't necessarily be affected. Right. So I, I don't I don't understand that. But I think it's very cool that we're so individualized. Because right. that's the one thing about I feel like good medicine is individualized medicine. Of course. Of like course. you can't apply these guidelines to every single person, which drives me nuts because right now our healthcare system, which is insurance based, managed care it's all based off of these generalized guidelines, yep. you know? And these and guidelines are built on clinical trials that are primarily white, like, Americans. That's right? so Cause that's, true. Because that's, that's what the clinical trials are done on. That's Like, so it's true. not just, it, it's like, there's not a, like, clearly there's probably some genetic difference in, in reactions from an Asian population, an Indian population, a black population, Absolutely. right? So, like, a lot of the clinical trials in the meds are done because, like, the sample sizes tend to just be of, like, a certain demographic. So I think there is... That's some so some true. some like position to be medicine to be is racist everybody <laughs> i don't think yeah, yeah i mean i think it, it actually is i don't think it's i don't think it's like from a malicious perspective For like sure. most psychology studies are designed on 18 to 22 year old college psychology students because that is the population that signs up for these trials that's so true and these are not again not like a malicious perspective it's just like clinical trials are hard to run and what are the easiest samples to, to run them on? Well, it's like whoever's available. For and in sure. America, where most of the clinical trials are done, that's going to be a Caucasian American of a certain, you know, social economic status. For that is sure. just what it is. Um, 
But I think that doesn't mean, okay, that's like the one size fits all. Like, let's get smarter. Let's realize this is like an institutional construct. Yeah. And get smart about it. Yeah, yeah. I.e. more research with more diverse populations, yeah. for sure. And this doesn't just apply to like metabolic health. I mean, even in psychiatry, for yeah. example, um, it, you know, like... Uh, lots of different studies that have been done out there um, tend to be done with like you know middle class white people yeah um so it's very yeah that's very interesting and a lot of the trials are also done in men like i think it's another thing that men and women most of the clinical trials are done in men um it was you know again seeing results is already hard enough and and for certain indications you know women have menstrual cycles and that's gonna you know people are on different cycles that affects a lot of things it's more complicated to, to net that out for sure. so a lot of the trials are done on men right so like it's like you can slice the bias on uh a lot of these trials in a lot of different ways for sure which yeah. is why again it's very important whenever you read something in the news like check the sources go to the original journal article read like the, the <laughs> but people various... aren't gonna read so i think that's why, like it, it takes more and more people like us in the community out there to educate themselves and, and, and help educate people around them that's so true yeah that's true we gotta get rid of all those alternative facts out there <laughs> yeah um in terms of like ketogenic diets have you also looked at like fasting i know i mean they're essentially attacking the same issue of raising ketones just in different pathways for sure, for sure. i'm just curious in terms of all the levers in your practice um how, how do you play with all the different levers yeah yeah so and i know you're like big on fasting and stuff which is awesome um so sometimes i'll use intermittent fasting in certain patients with diabetes as an adjunct therapy right meaning they're like already eating low carb um and i might implement that as an adjunct if let's say they're plateauing right um you know some patients ask me about fasting and i tell them if they want to do it go for it right. I, I definitely um i tailor it like i i won't approach it unless i feel like a patient would be open to it right yeah because uh yeah, like you don't want to. It's already so hard eating keto right. in, in the food environment we live in. Um, to then add fasting if someone's still like struggling with eating keto. I mean, if they're open to it, then that's awesome. Yeah. I just kind of meet people where they're at, yeah. basically. Yeah. That makes sense. I mean, I think it's definitely like if you have to fight your culture battles one at a time, I right? Know. If we're saying, like, hey, fast don't cut out all the yummy pastas I know. it's like oh i can only do one thing at a time i know i know but um some people are really open to it and i think some people are just like shit i'm gonna like i'm like my i'm i'm, I'm like fucking dying for sure <laughs> like, let me fix i want to fix myself i'm gonna try everything yeah, yeah yeah which is always like if if people are motivated yeah. i mean that's huge that's really awesome and um yeah like i think it can be uh it can be more helpful if you have like a buddy or if families yeah. are doing it together. What's interesting is that like in a lot of major religions, fasting has been a part of certain religious activities yeah. like Islam, Hinduism, um, Buddhism. Like there's a yeah, lot of various like Jesus sects. or Moses like fasted in the Bible for like 40 days. Yeah. I mean, oh, yeah, and almost true. every single tradition. Yeah. Like, yeah, which the, I think is really interesting. Yeah. Like, um, why or how that came about, uh, Came, yeah came out yeah I, I think just looking at the literature there was stories about um aristotle or P- 
or Plato asking their new students to fast before coming to the academy because fasting like purified their spirit and like made them smarter to absorb more material. It's, it's interesting. Oh, so like maybe they were in ketosis and they could have like more fascinating. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's the that's the that's the theory, right? For like, sure. and I think some of the interesting biochemistry there is that um, I don't know if you've seen the literature, but like ketones are actually uh, burn twenty percent more efficiently than glucose mm-hmm. per same unit of oxygen, right? So there's actually interesting from a biochemistry level that these alternate fuel source for the brain mm-hmm. actually shows different power mm-hmm. generation per same unit of oxygen. So like in India, where my family's from, like in North India, Kashmir, you know, there's like these stories of these like super like wise spiritual guys that uh, would go to the mountains and they would like, fast. they would essentially yeah. fast and not eat and then they would kind of talk about the stuff that they learned and they would pass down all this wisdom and i wonder if they were actually like euphoric from being super ketotic ketotic, yeah yeah. and whatever like they they always talked about clarity of mind peace of mind stillness right um joy and like they all attribute they spun it with like a god like this is all god but you kind of wonder if someone's up in the mountains and they're also cold so then there's like cold thermogenesis going on as well like you wonder if that's actually what was going on right if you get into like yeah i think that's what's going on yeah i actually the highest i i've never yeah do you measure yourself i'm actually curious i was gonna just ask you about that because i teach a trial right now at ucsf um at the osher center of integrative medicine and we're taking people with diabetes putting them on a ketogenic diet and then we're randomizing one group to getting mindfulness training or not and the the participants in that trial need to be checking their ketones three times a week so I've only been checking my ketones three, two times in my life. One was at a low carb conference, and I think I you was, have the kids here. You want to get? Yeah, I, I mean, <laughs> while I'm here, I'm I'm curious. Okay. Like, uh, yeah, we'll see. Because I had a bit to drink last night, so we'll see if that affected me. It's probably gonna affect you a little um, bit. And uh, so at the low carb conference, that was really funny because I was think I was like one point four. Then okay, for the UCSF bad. trial. Uh, I was like 1.5 and then 2. Okay, legit. Because um, I think a lot of people that I tested, like, yeah, I eat keto. I, I test their blood. They're like 0.3. I'm like, oh, interesting. you're not keto. Really? Yeah, no, because I think it's very hard to eat keto. Oh, wow. I think people are like, oh, I'm going to just eat like steaks and whatever. But then like a lot of the sauces have sugar. Sauces, right? man. Oh, the like, sauces. Or, or you eat too much steak and like you get... Yeah, you start having like the protein breakdown into sugar. Yeah, yeah. Like you got to like legit just like eat fat. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So but, I, so you're doing it if you're doing like consistently above one. That's that's very good. Yeah, I. I it's very so, good. Uh, what like I um, Malia was telling me you chase the numbers sometime or like you're what's the highest you've ever been and how did you feel when you were that high? I'm <laughs> the highest curious. I've ever been is five point <gasps> five. Oh my! That was that God. was. But that was through fasting for seven days. <gasps> That's incredible. Yeah, that's super. Yeah, no, it's insanely high. Did you feel euphoric? Uh, did you find I, I mean, God? I, <laughs> did you find God at 5.5? No, I did not find. Uh, I felt surprisingly sharp for not eating for seven days, right? Like, I think, like, like five years ago when I, like, didn't think about fasting or, keep, or biohacking at all, I would have been like, dude, that's insane. You're going to, like, die. Right, right, right. Um, that was a very interesting week where I was like traveling. This was in January. Over a hundred people in our community did a seven day fast with us. Actually, uh-huh. half the team here at Human did like did a 
did a seven day fast with 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 me. Wow. Um, the other half like tried and like failed after three days. Um, yeah. I was I was jet lagged and and tired, but I didn't need that much sleep. I was like super sharp. I was like super productive that week. I was actually working out during that week as well. Wow. Um, wow. And I felt pretty strong actually. Like I was able to maintain a lot of my you know like like lifting. Mm. Um, yeah, it, it it was interesting. How was your mood? Um, I think. Like, hunger tapered off at, I think, day two, day three. I think after a certain level of ketones, your appetite sort of diminishes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think the mood was was very clear, very sharp. Um, wow. But I think at a certain point, it's, like, not optimal for, for productivity because, like, you're so glycogen depleted, right? Yeah. Um, and you, I, I think at a certain point, you're just actually, like, starving and potentially, like, losing lean muscle tissue. Um, so I think there's probably a balance. Did you find yourself sensitive to like, uh, loud sounds or loud lights or just like any, any other things? Like, were you a Mm. little bit more sensitive to your environment? Um, that's a good question. I don't, I didn't necessarily pay attention to that. I don't think there's anything that popped out. No. Okay. But I think in terms of like general acuity, I felt like it was just sharper than, than normal. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, well, I would assume that with a sharper acuity, you would be picking sensitive, up on yeah. stuff. Um, one of the things I noticed when I first ate keto and was in, I felt like I was in ketosis because, um, number one, I, I felt very euphoric. But right. one of the things I really remember was that I turned on the radio and... You could hear the static more. Well, n- when the music was playing, I it was like... I was feeling really overwhelmed by hearing the music. Like it was eliciting a lot more joy inside of me than like I had never experienced. Right. Like my my experience of my like u- universe changed so much so that I was like, yeah, when I listen to the radio and I hear the music, I remember telling a friend, I was like, it's like it moves me and I've never felt that before. <laughs> and I was pretty euphoric, like in the initial yeah. phases. So I'm just curious, like, I yeah, if you experience that. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of the, I think after like fasting and being conscious about measuring ketones, I think the like the initial like euphoria tapered off. But I think yeah. like we've been experimenting a lot with exogenous ketones yeah. and elevating that. Yeah. Um, and that sudden shift of like being from like zero to like. 4.0, 5.0. Yeah. You can definitely feel like a big delta there. Yeah, for sure. I know so what you mean. Yeah. Like, um, when I've tried exogenous ketones, like, it does give you, a, like, some sort of boost. Yeah. But it could be the caffeine in that, because I'm also really a big fan well, blinded, of caffeine. Yeah, well, blinded from the caffeine. I mean, I think yeah, we, we should true. talk offline. I mean, that's, that's an active R&D area for us. Oh, I see. Interesting. Yeah. So, so uh, we could talk yeah, offline about sure. that. Yeah, um, <laughs> But yeah, I mean, we can, we can, yeah, obviously don't conflate with the caffeine. I mean, that, that's just, that's just BS, right? Right. But if right. you just take straight, I mean, there's different classes. I, I think we've talked with other, other folks about it, but there's like MCT oil, mm-hmm. other precursors, right? That's like one class. There's ketone salts uh, and, and then ketone esters that are emerging in terms of R&D. Right. That were originally designed for military use. And there's an interesting emerging uh, 
technology that, that may be able to bring this to scale in a, in a form that's available for everyone soon. So yeah, very super, interesting, yeah. very exciting kind yeah. of field. Who knows? I mean, as a you know physician, kind of fighting the the battle on the front line. Right. You know. Um, I'm still just waiting for, you know, the American Diabetes Association guidelines to yeah. change or the AHA to, you know, adapt. Yeah, what do you think you know? is, so, what do you think are, are the system, systemic, like, blockers? I mean, I think yeah. it just seems like, like okay, um, this is working in clinics, like, real doctors, real patients are for seeing sure. real results. Existing status quo is, like, not even great. It's, like, arguably failing. Yes. For diabetes, obesity rates are up and to the right. Yeah. It so, just seems like, okay, one plus one is not adding up to like, okay, let's evolve some of the principles that are being distributed out as like gold standard. Totally. I completely agree with you. So number one issue is lack of education about basic macronutrient metabolism in medical schools right now. Like we're- I hear that you get like four hours of lecture on nutrition. I had an hour. <laughs> I had one hour. Over four years of medical school. Yeah. I remember one hour and I remember being like, that's it? And then I, I had three days of statin lectures. You That's know what crazy. I mean? So, so I teach you about using pharmaceuticals, not big food. Big time. Yeah. yeah. And so that was, I remember being really disappointed about that um, as a med student. So we're, a lot of physicians are just not educated about this. Yeah. And we're in the dark, you know, it's like, you got to learn how to read if you want yeah, no, to it's No, it's weird because I think five years ago, I've been like, you guys are just like, crazy hippie kind of alternative like folks and it's like after just like actually reading this stuff and you talk to doctors and like hey in, in a lot of ways like a very just well-read layman is smarter than you know not all doctors but a lot of doctors that just haven't been looking at this since like college biochemistry exactly and it's just like whoa it's like the the, the the like the authority on this pillar is like not as you know, crisp and, and clear as you might have thought. I know. I, I don't know if you've uh, interviewed Ivor Cummins yet, but you got it. Okay. Uh, I mean, he's one of the the most well-read people about uh, the science behind right. this. And he's an engineer. He's yeah. not even a physician. But you talk to him. Sometimes I have to remind myself that he's not a physician. Right. Because... He's up to speed. Like, he, we, yeah. like I am having yeah. conversations with him that are like physician-level conversations. Right. And then at the end, he's like, no, I'm just an engineer yeah. who's extremely well-read. You should totally interview him okay. if you have a chance. Yeah. Um, yeah, so... Good. Engineers talking about medicine. He's great. awesome. He, <laughs> I'm an engineer by training Ireland. as well. He's so funny. He's a great interview. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, like, uh, it wasn't until I, like, re-educated myself, retaught myself nutrition metabolism um, that I realized what was going on. Right. And for any physicians listening, you know, I, I strongly recommend... Uh, getting board certified by the American Board of Obesity Medicine or becoming a member of the ABOM because they taught me a lot about mm. nutrient metabolism. And they don't, like Eric Westman, I think is the president now of the ABOM. Um, they kind of just present the data. They don't, they, they're not like preaching one diet, right. but you can make the conclusions yourself, you know, based off of what they teach you. They definitely helped me learn the building blocks. Um, and then I think, you know, there's more credibility if you're board certified in obesity medicine to like right. implement ketogenic diets. Right. Um, and you, you can get very comfortable, um, learn, you know, learning right. about that. So that's one way that I think we can make a difference. Another thing is that my, my clinical practice, I do teach medical students and 
it's my way of trying to at least initiate change in san francisco you know? in san francisco yeah so yeah. it's funny because when the med students work with me like they know nothing about insulin they know nothing about uh you know they don't even know how to count carbohydrates you know what i mean right. like they're just totally they've been taught nothing and they've been uh, taught to prescribe drugs yeah like and that's exactly. how you that's how you get reimbursed by the insurance companies exactly. like i think a lot of incentive structures are like hey like prescribe drugs get paid exactly like like insurance is not like giving you money for like taking people off meds right exactly <laughs> which is like this weird incentive it's, system it's yeah it's very challenging so i think you know teaching our youth teaching early medical students um educating p physicians like i think there should be a law in the state of california that if you're going to practice uh, medicine in california you need to know some basics of nutri nutrition right like um you need to know about nutritional ketosis yeah. like you need to know that the brain can run on ketones you need to know that carbohydrates are not a necessary nutrient right that the body can create it that there's other important yeah it's interesting when i talk to people if they even know what ketones are they're like are ketones bad isn't because, that bad because i i my friend my uncle has type 1 diabetes and ketones are really really bad and it's like okay let's zoom back and exactly ketones are actually produced as like a reaction to not being your body being able to use glucose it's exactly. like it's like a protective or like a, a way to fuel yourself exactly it's really funny because even before i like learned about this officially like back in college like as a vegetarian I did real. I did figure out that I was like, when you eat like cakes and breads, like you gain weight pretty quickly. <laughs> like when you're eating potatoes all the time, like you put on weight. Yeah. And I sort of was like, I shouldn't be doing that. Like right. maybe I shouldn't be eating those white foods or whatever, those right. flour-based foods. And maybe in a way I was like just feeling my own little like, low carbish but right. i didn't put it together right. until like i actually went low carb yeah. so it's funny like there were signs all along and then eventually i found where i was supposed to be right yeah and then i think you think that ada aha you're gonna turn around in terms of just being okay like let's step i i, I like what do you think are the big roadblocks there if you could just project forward a little bit yeah that's a really good question i mean there's so sounds like a lot of research is coming down the pipeline. I know a lot of different groups like so, like sounds like you're also working on research as showing hey like this is working. Yeah, like for example the the trial I'm involved in um you know, we're hoping that after we show those results, it'll lead to more studies and then w once you publish enough data, that's eventually what can lead to changing right. the guidelines. If enough physicians learn about nutrition eventually the guidelines will change okay. and once the guidelines change all physicians education should also pra changes change their too. practice right. yeah once so the thing about most physicians is that they're risk averse right like it, 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 it makes sense too because they want to play you, safe yeah which is also the right thing to do because hey like you're playing with people's lives like let's make sure what is safe like let's, play, let's be conservative but like what is conservative is actually like not necessarily the actual best science best practice which is like where that tension is yeah and you yeah. know like it's funny like we're playing with people's lives from from my perspective the moment i learned about the science be behind low-carb diets i felt an ethical obligation to implement it right in order to save people's lives right you know what i mean like personally like my, i lost my grandmother to severe complications of diabetes you know she had vascular dementia it was a long and prolonged kind of 
process. It's yeah. very painful to see. I've lost one of my own to the fight against diabetes, you know, mm. and uh, I, I'm not going to lose more people. You know right. what I mean? Like my skin's in the game. Right. Um, it's it's something I, I feel very like strongly about. Yeah. So I can't wait for the ADA to change their guidelines while people are suffering. Yep. Like it's not it's not an option for me. <laughs> right. I have to do what I feel is right. Yeah. And it's also like working for your and patient. And it's working, yeah. 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 I think that's like one thing that I always found really interesting where like nutrition is not being taught, but that's like the, if you look at Hippocrates, right? He was the one that defined like do no harm, but he also said like medicine is food, food Let is medicine. Let food be thy medicine. Which is like, it actually makes sense from a systems perspective because if we're just looking at all input, all pharmaceuticals, foods, supplements, whatever, it just inputs into that digestive system. Well, like what is the most common most ubiquitous input into our system it's the food like we're constantly manipulating ourselves with our food totally so like if we are just saying hey as doctors don't even talk about nutrition don't talk about food it's only talk about drugs you're, you're very much focused on like a very narrow percentage of what is being input into the human system totally. so i think it's like not a full practice if we're just focused on a small slice of what humans are doing for sure and you know what's crazy like a lot of my patients, unfortunately, get really surprised when I'm sitting and going through like so much nutrition education right. with them. Like, because I think people are trained to be like, drug, yeah, pill, done. Yeah, it's really <laughs> it's sad weird. It's if interesting. You think about it. Yeah. Like the fact that they are surprised, or you know, they're extra appreciative, and. I'm or just, it just sounds like I, I feel like there's also a sense of like oh you're going to like woo woo land like you're talking about like hippie stuff and it's like wait 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 like this is not even like we're not even talking about like spiritual weird yoga stuff it's just like this is actual biology yeah but I think it's like this weird tension where like oh you start talking about diet it's like oh are you gonna be talking about some weird diet fad to me now it's like no this is actually biochemistry I know I know you gotta and, change that perception yeah I know it's like it I always get. I have to remind myself that um, most physicians don't know how to counsel their patients about what they should be eating. Right. And to me, it's like, thank God I like learned about this because I, I would feel very like I feel almost like a fraud, you know? <laughs> like, how can you tell people how to live if you don't tell them how to? I mean, what is life? Right? Eating, sleeping fucking well i don't know if i can even say that you can bleep that out but um hey it's, you know, it's, a, it's like, a fact of life like socializing right so like we as physicians need to know how to counsel on that right. right like medicine should be the last resort not the first resort like yeah. obviously if there's a medical issue like if you're sick with pneumonia and you need antibiotics like you need to take the antibiotics. Like right. if your bone breaks, you need to get it's, it fixed. Uh, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like obviously practice smart medicine, but then know the fundamentals yeah. of like health yeah. and life. Yeah. So. Absolutely. Yeah. I think I think with the decentralization of information, I, I, I think if you look at the internet and computing, yes. decentralizing computing power, right? Like IBM used to just have mainframes. Now everyone has a supercomputer in their for pocket. Sure. For sure. You see like cryptocurrency where it used to only be banks and, and sure. governments having financial control. Now like 
everyone has like a node that can run Bitcoin. I right. see a lot of the biohacking community as a decentralization of healthcare knowledge. For sure. Where hopefully more and more people can understand and and, 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 and implement with with the smart council, with, with right doctors to implement and, and manage themselves. Yeah, better, I mean right? it's crazy what's on what's in those Reddit forums. Yeah. Not just for keto stuff, but like there are like deep threads of like any topic you know like um you know if you're having marital problems like or if you're trying to like raise a child you know what i mean like huge things huge deep conversations like on reddit and like a lot of people depend on these things you know what i mean i don't know if that what that says about our society that like we're we're not able to have frank face-to-face conversations about these issues we have to do it in privacy um I don't know. Maybe people are more comfortable sharing, knowing that like their identity right. is completely gone. Probably, um, but we as a society like are still fairly closed off, you know. Yeah. Um, and I don't know why that is. I don't know if it's an American thing or if now it's a thing across the world. I'm not sure. There's so many like branches to that. We should definitely have a separate that. conversation about that. <laughs> yeah, no. What are some of the like exciting projects you're working on? So it sounds like you have a clinical trial going yeah, on. So How do it, folks find you if they're, you know, they listen, they're inspired by your practice? Hey, like I want to talk to, you know, what what are, what are yeah, the shout outs so, here? Uh, you can uh, hit me up on Twitter. It's at Wally Priyanka, W-A-L-I-P-R-I-Y-A-N-K-A. That's probably the best way to reach me. Cool. And just to wrap up here, how about your comedy practice? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, um, yeah, I'm actually curious to get, you know, get a snapshot of that and where we could see their next show and all of that. Yeah, for sure. So, I perform in and around the Bay Area, like, all, you know, pretty frequently. I run a monthly uh, free show in San Francisco at uh, Blondie's Bar in the Mission. It's every fourth Monday of the month. It's free, it's at 8 p.m. Uh, you should come. It's it's recurring. It's every fourth Monday of the month. Cool. Yeah. Let's let's get, let's blast that information out and then. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> as always, find us on SoundCloud, but hopefully that service stays live. But if not, definitely Google Play, Apple iTunes, and YouTube. Thanks so much. See you guys next time. Cheers. Thank you. <laughs>